hi church, guess what? We're in a new spot, <laughs> right? It's pretty cool. Although, uh, while we were outside today, I have to admit, um, the part of me wanted to just move out there. That would have been, okay, there's this, where am I here? I think there's a field over there that's just screaming for big tent revival. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> um, so, the video. <laughs> the... Uh, the idea of trying to connect with people on a Sunday morning is um, we thought this would be a really good time for us to do it because whenever you move into a new space or you make a big change, it's a bit disruptive, but it causes all of us to kind of pay closer attention to what's going on. And so we thought we would take this opportunity to kind of revisit the idea of welcome and hospitality and connections and that kind of a thing and, and uh, actually kind of go back to the Bible, see what it says uh, about it. Because... Um, when we were doing research uh, for Thrive a few years ago, uh, we experienced a number of very interesting um, situations that we had when we went to visit churches. Now, here's the thing. Uh, we had sent our entire team out to go visit various churches within um, the Tulsa area just to kind of get a feel for what is it like to be new at a place. Um, it it kind of went off of a series of... Uh, a research projects that my wife and I did over a period of years. I think we figured it out one day. We had visited like 63 churches in like four years or five years or something crazy like that. And it was, it was really kind of interesting. I'll never forget one. <clears throat> we showed up, I think it was on a Mother's Day, if I remember right, at a, at a church. And um, we took uh, Eliana to the kids' ministry program and we walked up and the lady behind the counter, she looked really tired. And she just asked us, she goes, are you guys planning on even coming back? <laughs> yeah, right? You know, I was like, I'm not sure this is really your best strategy on a Mother's Day at this point. So, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody has an off day. Okay, I understand, I understand that. And at the same time that we level criticism to places that we've been, we don't get it right all the time either. I mean, we just, we just don't. We're human beings and we're fallible. And one of the things that we're attempting to do by focusing our attention on this is to, to say, okay, what, how can we do this better? And so we've decided just as a leadership team and staff that we're going to focus our attention a little a little bit um, more on kind of our first impressions and our connections area while we're here at more so that we can get better at it. And summertime's a great time to do that. And, and I, I really think that we need to go back to the source. We need to go back to the scriptures and try to um, essentially look at this idea, this biblical idea of hospitality and really what that means. And I think personally that there's an imperative here. It's not that it's something that we ought to do, but it's something, it's something that we really need to do if we're really going to be the kind of church that we, that we, we say that we want to be. And so we're going to take a look at that um, today. And, and it's really about how we interact with, with each other. And it's not just about visitors, okay? It's not just about visitors. When we start thinking in terms of hospitality as just about the people who are coming here for the first time, that's not it either. Because here's the thing. As we go through this, you're going you're gonna to recognize everybody's dealing with stuff. And we need, to, we need to kind of refocus all of our mental energies on why we're coming to church, just what we're doing, how, how we hope to interact with each other. So I'm going to invite you to a very strange place. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. 
Genesis chapter 18, I'm going to spend some time there, and then also in Genesis 24, so keep that in mind. There's some stories here that we're going to read, and hopefully we're going to put a little historical context around this in order to understand something, okay? So Genesis chapter 18, we're in the story of Abraham, and Abraham, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay, I'll put it up here on the screen for you. Uh, Abraham is living near um, a large tree at a place called um, um, Mamre. Now here's the thing. Think about Israel being in the desert. Okay, there's not a whole lot of, how to, a lot of trees, right? I mean, some of you have traveled there, so you know this a little bit better than I do. But where he was located, uh, apparently there was a large oak tree in this particular place, and it was kind of a landmark that everybody knew about. Because there's not a whole lot of trees there, okay? So, here we go. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of, of Mamre. <clears throat> While he was sitting at the entrance of, of his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried down the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, we're having guests. <laughs> Quick, he said, get three uh, seahs of finest flour and knead it, into, uh, knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the, and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Well, this is an interesting little story because we read that the Lord appears to Abraham. The problem is, is that in the text, if you go back and look at it, Abraham doesn't know it's God. There's nothing that says that. What it says is he saw three men. It doesn't say anything about he saw God, right? And of course, there's an exchange that happens after this. But the, the point is, is that he runs out of his tent, bows down low, and invites them in and does three things. The first thing he does is he, he offers, uh, invites them to, to sit down. Second, he offers water for their feet. And third, he gives them food. Okay? So there's three very specific things that happen here. And it's, it's a little strange to us when we read this because he, he's going out of his way for three strangers. And we think, well, yeah, it's God, because, you know, it's, it's, you know you, want to, you want to do that when God shows up, right? But he doesn't know that, okay? You just, we have to keep that in mind. There's nothing in the text that suggests that. And he goes out of his way, and also notice the quantity of food that he offers these three men and the quality. I mean, we're talking about, you know, roast beef sandwiches here, right? He goes and gets a tender calf, and Sarah's baking some bread, so I know what I would do with that, right? And he offers it to them, brings them also some curds and some honey and some high-quality items in that day and age. And it does. It seems a little bit off. And, and maybe, maybe it seems a little over the top because you're like, why, why is this occurring? 
So maybe this is just one particular scene in the Bible, and maybe Abraham is just that kind of guy. Ah, but it's not. If you flip over to chapter 24, we get another story. So Abraham, if you know the story, has a son named Isaac. And Isaac gets to be a certain age, and so Abraham tells one of his servants to go get a wife for his son Isaac. And you thought Match.com was a little odd. Okay? So he tells the servant, I want you to go to my relative. Another very strange thing, but makes sense here. I want you to go and go get a wife for my son Isaac. So the servant does as he was requested. His relative is named Laban. Laban went out to the man, this is the servant of Abraham, and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. He said, why are you standing out here? Nice greeting. I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were, were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. This is really interesting. So not only is he going to take care of Abraham's servant, he's also going to take care of the camels. And notice, there's a foot washing piece to this as well. Later on, we find out that they have a meal together. So it's not that odd. This is, I guess I would say, a, a stranger to Laban and his family, and yet he's brought in and treated with a great deal of respect. So what's going on here? What's happening here? Because this seems a little bit, a little bit strange. Uh, I mean, you know, dating and, and, and marriage aside, there seems to be something else that's, that's going on. And so I want you to um, remember something, that when we open up the Bible, we're visitors. You've heard me say this before. We're sightseers. We don't necessarily understand all the customs that are happening here. Well, in that day and age, you had a lot of travelers going through um, sparsely populated areas. And in, in some of the best material that we can read on this happens to, to come from the Bedouin tribes of the, of the Middle East. And so there's something in, that's at play here called the law of the desert. We're going to talk about it. So think about way back when. This is many thousands of years ago. And you've got these tribes people, these nomads who are moving... Um, sometimes they're moving cattle. Most of the time it's flocks and goats and they're going from one place, one place to another and they're going through the wilderness and you have to understand and, that the wilderness is a dangerous place. I mean, think about this. Uh, that's the place where wild animals are. There are things that will poison you and sting you and try to eat you and I mean, it's just, it's a place that you don't want to spend time unless you absolutely have to. It's the domain of wild animals. It's also the domain of outlaws. Because if you're not going to be in a populated area because you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, you want to be hidden. So you go to where there's no people. You go to the wilderness. How many of you have actually been to the caves in Missouri where Jesse James was actually supposed to? I see the, the signs, but I just never stopped. I don't know why. But it's the same kind of an idea where it's the wilderness, there's not a whole lot of people, and so it's the area of outlaws. And also, the wilderness was a place of evil spirits. That was out there too. We didn't understand what was out there. And so it was a scary place. It was a dangerous place to be. 
And so within nomadic cultures, travelers depended on the, the welcome and hospitality of other people they met along the way. And because anyone may need it, everyone would give it. Because look, if I'm a traveler too, there's going to be a day where I'm going to need somebody to take care of me for whatever reason. Therefore, it's, it's important that I take care of this traveler. Does this make sense? I think this is an important thing. It was actually called the law of the desert. That if you saw a traveler, it was your moral obligation to take care of them. Because there was a day when you might need somebody to take care of you. This is an important thing when you're out in that kind of inhospitable environment. And typically what would happen is you would be under the care of that family for three days. That was considered polite. Um, and within a 100-mile radius. So when you came in and you were taken care of, that family was almost responsible for you to a certain degree for 100 miles. Okay? That's part of the law of the desert. And this was in operation for centuries. In fact, there are certain parts of the world where I think it's still in operation to a certain degree. So the aid of others was really about necessity. It was necessary for people to take care of one another. But over time, something truly astonishing happened. That it wasn't just about necessity. Hospitality became a virtue. And so you must understand this. A family's honor was tied to its hospitality. So when Abraham invites these three strangers in, it isn't because he knows there's something divine going on. It is his family's honor at stake. Does this make sense? And now we understand why he bows low and he lavishes on them. He has been blessed by God and therefore is to be a blessing to other people. And this is one way he can show it. It's an important piece. So my question that, that I keep asking myself is, what happened to hospitality? What, what's happened in our world? Because it seems to me that when we talk about hospitality, we're either talking about staying in a hotel or we're talking about the Food Network, right? I mean, it's all been relegated to Martha and, and Rachel, and that's apparently hospitality. And I think I understand why. Because I think in today's world, our honor is tied not to hospitality, but to self-reliance. Think about this. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Change your own circumstances. Change your own destiny. Change your own job. Change your own life. Right? We have tied honor to self-reliance. And instead of relying on other people, we rely on technology. And because it is available to anyone, everybody uses that. Because I can go on there and I can book my room and never call anybody or have to walk in and just, I can do everything on my phone. Some total of all human knowledge in the palm of your hand right there. And because it's so ubiquitous, it's so accessible, everybody uses it. And you know, in our world, it's odd to me. I was just thinking about this the other day. Instead of helping people, we film it. 
Have you ever noticed that? Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's, you know, admissible in a court of law. I understand that. But the point is, is we'd rather film something than get involved and actually try to help out. But that's a, that's a sermon for another day. <clears throat> but we don't necessarily, you know, fear wild animals anymore. Well, I don't know. In Oklahoma, we got some pretty weird snakes and that kind of thing. But, but we, don't, we don't really fear that. At least not so much know a little bit more. But you know what? There's other things. There's diseases. Tragic loss of life because of diseases. There's things like addiction and toxic shame and guilt. Hmm. And while they don't necessarily devour us physically, they can devour us spiritually. They can devour us mentally. And yeah, there's still criminals in the world. We know that. In the last six months, I'm aware of at least three different families who understand the reality of online Criminality. It's weird. We live in a weird world. And yes, my friends, there still are evil spirits. So I guess we could say that the world is still a dangerous place. It just looks a little different. And no, we don't have to worry about camels and feeding our, our flocks and that kind of thing, but we have our own issues. And what I want to point out to us today is that is what we must remember every single week when we gather together. And, and maybe, maybe even Monday through Saturday too, I don't know, just a thought that it's not just a Sunday thing. That every person that you meet around here is dealing with something. And you might not be able to see it physically, but it's going on on the inside. And it might change from week to week, and it might be different for one person or another, and it may not all look the same, but every person you meet is dealing with some type of challenge in their life. It's a fallen and broken world. It's, life is suffering in many respects. And it's not just visitors who are walking in. It's people who attend here regularly. We're all experiencing those kinds of things. And here's the thing about hospitality. It starts with, as Cindy Pershing so eloquently said, it starts with, hi. That's what it starts with. Just simply acknowledging the existence of another person. Hi. I'm glad you're here. And, and here's, a little, here's a little aside. Here's a little tip. If you don't really want to know how someone is, please don't ask them. I'm not trying to be mean or anything about that, but look, if you're not going to stop and just take a second and go, hey, how are you, and listen for a response... Don't ask the question. Just say, hey, I'm glad to see you. That's cool. That's fine. I remember um, uh, Dan and Gina can tell you this too, that at Asbury Seminary where we attended, we had a, a large number of international students, and they had to tell all of the Africans in their orientation very specifically that if Amer an American asks you how you're doing, they don't really want to know. They're just doing it as a thing of politeness because an African will stop and tell you they will sacrifice being to class on time in order to have a conversation with you. Now, 
that's an interesting comment about African society and quite a critique of American society, I think. But the point is, is this, is that if you don't really want to know, don't ask. That, that's okay. I would much rather have you ask, hey, how are you, and pause and have a conversation and let it be meaningful than to just try to do something in passing. It's important. But let's acknowledge that each other exists. Let's not complicate it. Let's just start with, hello, glad you're here. You know, it strikes me, um, every person is really on the connections team because we're a church. It's called being the church. It's when we connect with one another. It means I recognize you as a, as a human being made in the image of God, and I'm really glad that you're here. And I'm hoping that you're finding, finding Jesus as much as I am. Everyone is on the connections team. And here's the other thing, guys. I just... Mm. Treat everyone as a fellow traveler. And I know this is cliche, but sometimes cliches are just true. How would you like to be treated when you go visit a place? That sounds kind of familiar. Like, there might be a Bible verse about that, right? My dad was big on the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Some of you heard me tell the story that my dad was called the, uh, the, the mayor of Orchard Ave. He lived on a little street in Grand Haven, Michigan called Orchard Ave. Very idyllic. And yes, the street was as cute as it sounds. <clears throat> and my dad would treat everybody with a great deal of respect. After my dad passed away, I was standing out in the yard and a woman walked by with a little dog. I have never seen her before. I have never heard my dad talk about her before. And she said, I just heard about your dad. I'm so sorry. And I said, how did you meet my dad? Well, I was out walking my little dog. And my dad had this phrase. He would say, well, that looks like a ferocious animal. It's this big, right? But he did that with everybody. And he would start this conversation. And he could talk about you know, the weather or whatever you wanted to talk about. He was just amazing at it. Because he acknowledged people existed. And the fact that they were walking in front of his property meant that he was going to say hello to them. Everybody was a, a traveler, and he treated people as he would want to be treated. He would want to be acknowledged. And he would want to have somebody say hello to him. And he changed the whole makeup of that little community, that little block. At his funeral, I heard story after story after story because he treated others as he wanted to be treated. So let's do that. See, here's the thing. If we want to take something like the Great Commission seriously, then here's the deal. Making disciples means making room. Making disciples of other people means that you make room for them in, in your lives. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to make it more simple than that. But I think what happens is we fill up our, our, our days with busyness and things and, and we don't make room for other people and, and we don't make room. I don't, I don't think we're really able to make disciples. When we settle for things like drive-by evangelism, which, by the way, doesn't work, <laughs> not in today's culture anyway, we don't want to do that. 
We want to make disciples, and that comes out of relationships that we have with people. And we have to be intentional about them. But again, it starts with, hello, glad you're here. I came across a, a quote by a, a Catholic theologian. His name is uh, Jean Venier. Um, he started a community called La Arche um, that does incredible ministry with, um, I believe, developmentally disabled individuals. Anyway, here's what, here's what he said. Welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. Think about that. Welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we aren't afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and of peace to share. I don't know about you, but that's just profound to me. Welcome. Hi. How are you? And mean it. Or hi. I'm glad you're here and mean it. it means that we're not afraid. It means that this community has enough love that we can encompass others. And here's the thing. I recognize my own, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say it's failure. I'm recognizing my own growth curve. Can I say that? It just happens to be pretty steep for me sometimes. How about you? But I, I'm thinking we have this opportunity now that we're kind of in a new space. It's bigger. Isn't it awesome? Bigger. So, and, you know, we got a great thing going on here, so maybe we should, like, invite more people. That'd be kind of cool. But when we do is to welcome them because we're not afraid. They don't have to look like us. They don't have to sound like us. They don't even have to think like us. What they have to do is say, I want more of Jesus. And let him sort out all the nonsense, right? Because we all got nonsense. So this idea of welcome means we're not afraid. And by the way, we do have truth to share. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And do we have peace to share? Yes. Because if we don't have peace to share with one another, let's shut the doors and go do something else. So my question is, can we be that kind of church? Can, can we be that kind of church that welcomes people without fear? It's excited to share? And can we be agents of peace for people who, who desperately need it? And again, we're not going to get it right all the time. I'm just going to tell you that up front. I know that. But that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of trying and praying and asking God to empower us. So it's Family Sunday today. It's cool to have the kids here. I like when they sing. I like when mine sings right next to me. But on Family Sundays, we do this thing called communion. And we've got a table set in the back. You know, I, I grew up um, some of you know this. I grew up in a Lutheran church. And in the Lutheran church, God bless them, they do communion quite often, a lot more often than we do. 
And I just remember as a kid going up and doing the kneeling thing and getting the various elements and when we were supposed to, and, and there was a certain ritual to it. But it was very mechanical, right? It was very mechanical. I don't want communion to be mechanical. That's why we don't do it. We do it once a month, uh, the minimum, and we try to, to be thoughtful about it. And we really like when you get up out of your seat and you go to the elements. It means you're going to the party instead of letting you sit and pass it out. And, and there's value to that too, but we like doing it this way. We like seeing the body being dipped in the blood. There's something visual about that I think is important. But the other thing too is that we try to give you something to think about every single time that you do this. And here's, here's the thing. When you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, and as you eat it, I want you to think in terms that that's Jesus' way of saying, Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Because that's why we do this. A little passage in 1 John says, We love because he first loved us. We welcome because he first welcomed us. So as you take that today, just remember, he's glad that you're here. Thrive Church, we have an open table. It means if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. We invite you to be a part of this. You are welcome to it. And if you're just here checking the Jesus thing out, that's fine. You can stay right where you're seated. Nobody's going to look at you funny, I promise. Everybody's on a journey, and that's cool. We're going to sing. Dan's going to come up, and uh, we're going to sing a song. And I, I say this every, every time, and I truly mean it, and I want this to be meaningful for you. This isn't about me. This isn't about Thrive Church. This is between you and Jesus. So when you're ready, just make your way back there. There's two lines, gluten-free options for those of you who need it. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it after he'd given thanks. He passed it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after the supper, he, he did the same thing with the cup. He gave thanks and then he passed it to his disciples and said, take and drink and every time you do, remember me. But I think it's more important than that. I really do. I think that we remember him and we remember the welcome that he gave this ragtag group of 12 disciples and some of their family and some of their friends and some of their in-laws and some of their outlaws and they were all there, every one of them. And that same welcome is available to you and to me.